And on Mind Matters Free Clinic, we've got international psychologist, Dr. Angela Bass. Good morning, Dr. Good, Angela. Good morning, Shaz. Okay, so give us a call on 039543 We've got Nisha on the line. What's your question? Okay, so my 12-year-old daughter seems to have a lack of motivation in everything. She gets her schoolwork done and everything, but in terms of outside interests, reading, creative pursuits, sports, she has none whatsoever. It's really worrying me. In fact, to an outsider, she may appear lazy and maybe even listless. We try to get her interested in things, but she shows very, very little interest in anything. And sometimes we'll resort to watching YouTube videos whenever she can. I'm getting really, really fed up. I don't know what to do. What do you think I should do? So, Doc, what do you think? So, Nisha, that's a good question, and that's something that I see parents grapple with often. Um, There could be many things going on, but um, a lot of times, you know, depressive-like tendencies because there is, you know, maybe an issue at school. Maybe there's bullying. Um, With social media, there's a lot of compare and despair. This person looks like this. This person has that. Um, You know, naturally... You know, with certain ages um, and developmental stages, we go through sort of these rhythms where maybe we pull back, maybe we're more sociable. But, you know, things to definitely not do is to force the child or say something like, you know, what's wrong with you or everybody else is doing it or how does it come across? Because these things are sort of irrelevant and very secondary. A good idea is to create a neutral, safe space where you can say anything and I'm here to listen as an adult. If that feels a little impossible or um, your child is not responding, it's always a good idea to have them speak to someone, you know, a a therapist, a psychologist, uh, because that can be very, very beneficial and usually doesn't take uh, so many sessions. That's great advice. Um, and of course, if you have any questions uh, for Dr. Angela, you can give us a call 3 3 Up next, Kara says she's been having a lot of sleepless nights lately and she wants to know what tips we have for her to relax and fall asleep naturally. That's up next after the Spice Girls on Light. And with me this morning is Dr. Angela Bass. She's an international psychologist taking your questions and your calls this morning uh, for a mental health-free clinic. Hi, Kara. What is your question this morning for Dr. Angela? Hey, Shaz. I am having a lot of sleepless nights lately. My body is so tired. But when I want to sleep, right, I find myself wide awake and my mind is like going round and round in circles. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips on how to relax and fall asleep naturally? Like, why does my brain refuse to shut down when I want to rest? So, Doc, what do you think? Insomnia, the bane of most people's existence. Right? So, a lot of times with our circadian rhythms, we are geared to sleep. So, if we're not sleeping and if we can rule out sort of an organic or medical cause, most likely it's in the mind. So, what are we thinking? We want to sort of master the mind, you know, mind mastery. A lot of times, repetitive thinking, rumination, catastrophizing. You know, there's a saying, you know, sort of an understanding. If you're in the past, that's depression. If you're in the future, that's anxiety. If you're in the present moment, you're right there and you'll be able to fall asleep. And I know a bit easier said than done, but we are creatures of habit. So, for example, if you go to the gym, um, your muscles are likely to hurt the first week. You can't lift as heavy weights, but, you know, as you progress, that changes. It's the same with the mind. So, you know, every time you get a negative or worry some thought, you can ask yourself, you know, 
but what's right with this situation? Or how else can I think about this situation? Or you can put a time cap on it or you can reframe it. So, you know, sort of these negative thoughts that keep you up start to metabolize. Um, But I'd also practice sleep hygiene. We are what we eat. You know, you want to eat probably, uh, there's a tendency in this part of the world to eat very late. That doesn't help with digestion and sleep. So you want to eat earlier. You don't want to exercise too uh, closely to the time of sleep because that can, you know, your your blood is pumping and that can actually energize you. So again, you want to get the right window um, of when you're working out. Uh, a lot of times people drink a lot of liquid so they get up at night. That also disturbs the sleep. Uh, absolutely, at least two hours before you go to sleep, no gadgets because the blue lights at these phones and, you know, smartphones and all these things admit uh, they mess with your melatonin, which is, you know, a sleep-causing agent. So there's a lot that one can do. Uh, I'd also recommend talking to a professional. I, I have a whole PDF, for example, on sleep hygiene. But the last thing I'll say really quickly is, you know, whether it's on Spotify, iTunes, whatever, check out this group called Marconi, and they have sounds called Weightless, and that's actually scientifically created to coalesce with the brainwaves, and at least in 75% of the cases, it induces sleep. So good luck, and I hope you sleep well. Coming up, James has a question about how to deal with his anxiety and his depression and when would be the right time to seek professional help. All that after Sixpence None the Richer here on Light. It's a light breakfast with Shaz and with me in the studio is Dr. Angela Bass, uh, international psychologist, and we're taking all your calls for a mental health free clinic. Hi, James. Uh, you have a question for Dr. Angela. Yes, I do. So, doctor, I've been suffering or rather um, living with anxiety and depression for most of my life. I'm managing it without any therapy or medication for now. Uh, my question is, at what point should I consider getting some professional help? It's a great question, <laughs> Dr. Angela. Yep, I agree with you, Shaz. Um, psychologists usually sort of ascertain if something's interfering with life, you know, sort of by a quadrant, if you will. Is anxiety or depression affecting your work or academic life? Is it affecting your family and interpersonal relationships? Is it affecting pastimes, hobbies, socializing? So there's there's sort of a rubric that we're looking at. You know, another question I would ask is, what harm would come from speaking with a therapist and learning how to mediate or, you know, mediating these issues or leveling up? Because to me, it's an interesting choice of words. I've been able to manage for, you know, a long portion of my life. But I think there can be so much more to life than just managing. A lot of people look at it as uh, I'm surviving. But what about thriving? So I think a therapist could be very beneficial um, because remember, we're not really born with depression or anxiety. A lot of it is conditioned in a way, and it's about unlearning. Thank you for your question, James. Of course, if you have a question, it's zero three nine five four three double three double three. Coming up, Amy has a question about how to deal with trust issues. She's the one having the distrust issue. That's up next after the news update and James Arthur. Right now, this is Bad English on Light. It's a mental health free clinic, so do give us a call. We have the good doctor with us in the studio, Dr. Angela Bass, international psychologist. Amy, you have a question here for Dr. Angela. Yes, so I'm having major trust issues with my boyfriend, and recently I found out that he lied about a few things, um, namely like where he's been and who he's been hanging out with. And I find it so hard to believe anything he tells me right now. I'm just wondering at this point, is this relationship doomed? Should I move on or should I keep trying? Have you spoken to him about how you feel? 
no, I haven't because I don't know how to approach this and I don't know if I should just let it slide. Maybe I'm being paranoid or something. So I really don't know how to how to handle this. So, Doc, what do you think? When we have therapy sessions, you know, we're, we're able to take a history and an intake. So in that sense, it's it's difficult to get the full picture. Um, but based on what I'm hearing, might there be you know, a conflict avoidance um, because a lot of times people think that it is conflicts that will break a relationship, but it's not actually conflicts necessarily. It's distance that can grow between a couple. And that happens when we're not equipped with communication skills. The fact that you are perhaps considering could this be it? Does this mean the relationship's done? Um, I would wager a hypothesis that it does actually bother you. So if it does, you're actually doing both people in the relationship a favor if you can bring that up. And most of the time, it's not so much what we say, but how we say it. If we're coming at it in an uh, accusatory way, that's very likely to increase defenses. But if it's an open-ended question where, you know, there's concern, but there's also respect, um, giving a person an opportunity to share their sort of perspective, uh, that can only serve to strengthen your relationship. But I do think a therapist can be very helpful in these situations as well, because a lot of times it involves patterns, conflict avoidance, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. That's right. I mean, I'm a naturally confrontational, so <laughs> you would have heard about this ages ago. <laughs> okay, well, if you have any questions, uh, you can give us a call, 039543 Dr. Angela is here to answer any of your questions with regards to your mental health or that of your loved one. Uh, coming up, Keith is working in an office full of older colleagues and... And he feels condescended to most of the time. How can he deal with this and deal with his colleagues? That question's up next after Kenny Loggins and Eternal On Light. It's a mental health free clinic. And uh, Dr. Angela Bass, international psychologist, is taking your calls. Keith, what's your question? Yes, I'm a young man. And say about my journeys, kind of like that, in an office full of older colleagues. So sometimes I feel condescended to account to people of my age. Now, why do older people always think that they know better and feel like they can treat people like me as kids? How should I address this issue at work? So, Dr. Angela, what do you think? I think Keith is expressing something understood by young people mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah, You know, in this part of the world, especially, there is this whole idea that, you know, it's, it's sort of in a cultural ethos that, you know, age necessarily equals wisdom. And at all costs, you know, these are your elders. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times that is misappropriated in the sense that any human being, irrespective of age, you know, is worthy of being treated with respect. But that doesn't give right for someone to condescend or sort of, you know, use that might in ways that are not appropriate. So a couple of things you can self-advocate in the sense that it's not what you say, but how you say it. So, you know, in a situation, let's say you're in a meeting and, and someone's speaking or talking down to you, or it's perceived like that, saying something like, you know, I respect how many years you've been in the company and you bring, for example, a wealth of experience. But, you know, in in my generation, we are able, let's say like millennials, for example, we're able to bring a fresh perspective where this might affect the bottom line. So also advocating for what you bring to the table can sort of counteract this dynamic that's going on because what we resist persists. But the other thing that you can do internally 
is ask, you know, if it's not affecting sort of, let's say, job security and so on and so forth. What they say, do you have to take their word for it? There's a way to sort of reframe your experience with them saying, you know, I'm glad in my mind that I'm flexible. And, you know, when I'm older, that's not something I repeat and have compassion that maybe their range of focus is quite narrow. And when you do that, you'll start to see that you actually feel better. So it's very interesting when we change our mindset, our outer environment might not have literally changed, but mm-hmm. how we feel completely changes. Oh, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much for all that great advice, Dr. Angela. My pleasure. And if you've missed any of the great questions we had this morning, well, the podcast should be up later on, right after 10 a.m. on our website at light.my.